kingdom to touch down right where I live at street level. I want his will to be done at street level where I live through my life. And what happens is God's kingdom touches down and his will is done when us as individual believers and ultimately all of us as, as, as the body of Christ, when we allow God's kingdom to come in our hearts and in our families and, and, and through the way that we interact with people. There's a saying that goes, change starts here. In today's message, Pastor Daniel shares that God wants his kingdom to intersect with this world, and it all starts in your heart. When you align yourself with Jesus and let him begin to transform you at your core, it'll reverberate out into every part of your life. You'll bring his life-giving change to your relationships and your community because his kingdom is your focus, and that will change the world. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in John chapter 18 as he continues his message, Jesus the King. Pontius Pilate was told by Caesar if there's another insurrection, he was going to not only lose his job, but potentially lose his life. So the fact that the chief priests brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate because they said Jesus said he's the king of the Jews, it wasn't like, oh, this is nothing. For Pilate, his, he thought his, his job, his title, and his life was on the line for that. So he comes in, and his question isn't a spiritual question. It's a political question, but it is the most important question because what we say about who Jesus is will determine a lot of things about our lives. And so we have to learn how to ask good questions, and specifically, who is Jesus? Now, Jesus' answer to Pontius Pilate is kind of interesting because Jesus, are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Jesus is like, is this an honest question from you, or are you just peddling what the chief priests are telling you? And I think that's really, really powerful because it really puts the onus of the question on each one of us. Now, I want to speak to you young people for a second because oftentimes kids come to church because their parents go to church. But there's a point when a child's faith needs to stand on its own apart from their parents. And so each one of us, no matter where we find ourselves in life, we have to be willing to ask Jesus, who are you? Jesus, are you the king of kings? Are you my king? This question changes everything. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17. When Jesus came, I'm going to read this to you, Matthew 16, 13 to 17. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah. Now there's Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now you see that? Jesus came and said, who does everyone say that I am? And they said, oh man, people say that you're this, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're the prophet. Everyone had a different idea about Jesus. But then he said, but who do you say that I am? 
You see how Jesus prays? Like, everyone can say what they want, but who do you say that I am? And the same thing with this question. Pilate asked the question, but Jesus is like, are you, do you, are you asking this? Or are you telling me what everyone else said? Because for Jesus, it's personal. Jesus realizes that our lives will be radically altered if we're willing to ask this question for ourselves and willing to let Jesus answer that question as we move through the world. So I want to encourage you from the get-go, you need to make sure you're asking good questions. Now, I realize that for some of you right now, you have lots of questions about God. Things you don't understand, things that don't make any sense. Maybe you heard this thing, but your experience has been different. And I want to encourage you, and I always tell people this, that God is not scared of your questions, and neither are we here at Crossroads. Because I realize that the things of God are, they might be simple, but they're not simplistic. And there's a lot of things that go on in life, things that go on in our experience, things that we see that we're like, how does this thing all fit together? And oftentimes I think that believers feel like having questions is a problem. And I don't believe that it is a problem. I believe that we need to be okay asking questions. We need to be okay saying, hey, look, I don't know that I understand this. I was just talking to my kids about this. And we were talking about school. I'm like, listen, if you have a question, you should always ask the question because the only dumb question is the one that you need the answer to that you don't ask. Like the, you know, what I have found is that when I ask a question about something, oftentimes other people have the exact same question. So I mean, we should be, we should have a faith that says, Hey, I wonder what this means. Hey, can you give me clarification on that? And what I have found in my life is that every time I don't understand something about either what God is doing, what God's word says, if I ask the Lord and I seek after understanding with questions, it's always an invitation into something deeper with God. And I think what happens oftentimes is we stop asking questions because we're no longer curious. I think that's true of people today. I think by and large the reason people don't ask questions is people aren't very curious because people are self-centered. We want people to know us, but we're not as interested in knowing them. We, we, we want to be seen as opposed to, hey, I want you to know that I see you. And I think that one of the things that the Lord wants to do in all of our lives is because we are known and seen by the Lord, we want to also be in that place where we help others realize that God sees them and knows them, and we want to know them. And we should have a healthy curiosity about people and, of course, about Jesus. So it all begins with these questions. But Pilate's response to Jesus' question is funny because it seems like he gets a little frustrated with Jesus. This is what it says, verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Now, I love that because he's saying, do you think I care if you're the king of the Jews? He's saying like, and Pilate wasn't used to asking questions and then responding with a question. You can imagine, you know, if it was like a, a cop show and Pilate's like, well, are you the king of the Jews? He's like, well, someone else tell you that or are you asking for yourself? It's like, hey, I'm the one asking the questions here. That was kind of Pilate's response. He's like, what do you, what do you think? You, you, you think I'm a Jewish person? You think this is my, my thing? He's like, they, they're telling me this about you. And then, he, but he asked him, but, but what have you done? Why, why do these guys want to kill you? What have you done? And then Jesus answers the question that Pilate asked earlier. He says, my kingdom, verse 36, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And really what we learn here is that Jesus's kingdom is beyond this world. His answer to Pilate should make Pilate feel a little bit more at ease 
but not entirely because Pilate doesn't have to worry about Jesus trying to overthrow his government. See, really what Jesus' answer is saying, he's saying, my kingdom is not about the Roman Empire. It's not of this world. He's like, if it was of this world, my followers would fight. But he's saying, but my kingdom's not from here. It's beyond this. And he says, but now my kingdom is not from here. And I think that's beautiful because he's saying, my kingdom does not come from rebellion against the government. My kingdom comes from submission to God. Its source is not from people and their acts of violence. My kingdom comes from a new birth from heaven where I transfer people from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. He, he, Jesus affirmed that his kingdom had a completely different origin. It has a completely different character from everything that Pilate knew. Now, if you think about this, I think this is really, really important because we have this tendency. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are, that we are dual citizens. We are, if, you're, if you're a believer, you're a citizen in heaven and you're a citizen on earth. But you always have to realize that our citizenship in heaven and our citizenship on earth are different things. And I think oftentimes as believers, we want to conflate the two. We want to make our our, our heavenly citizenship like our earthly citizenship. And, and right away, Jesus makes the point that he's like, my kingdom is not here. This is not where my kingdom is. It's from somewhere else. It's, it's got a different set of attributes to it. And I always think about this in, in relation to, in the book of James, it talks about the wisdom from above and the wisdom on the earth. And then if you go into the book of Revelation, there's this idea of the way of the dragon, which is the way of the, the Satan and the Antichrist, as opposed to the way of the lamb, which is pure and peaceable and willing to yield. And really what we're seeing is that Jesus' kingdom has a different origin and has a different set of characteristics. And we always need to make sure that we're living into our heavenly kingdom and Jesus' kingdom as opposed to the way earthly kingdoms function. That really our job should be to, through Jesus and the Spirit, that we allow heaven to touch down to earth through our lives. And that's why it's so important for the lives of the people of God who call Jesus King to have a distinct quality to it. I mean, in the Crazy Happy series, we were looking at things like the Beatitudes and the Fruit of the Spirit, where happiness is found, and the qualities that are birthed by the Spirit in the people of God. And this becomes even more important when we realize that Jesus' kingdom is different from earthly kingdoms or earthly empires. And we should want our lives to have the ethics of God's heavenly kingdom as we move through a world full of earthly kingdoms. And so we realize that love, self-sacrificial love, a, a, a giving rather than a getting is the ethic of God's kingdom. And I think that's really powerful. When you think about the triumphal entry, we think about Holy Week, we think about the death and resurrection of Jesus, we realize that when God's kingdom is touching down to earth, it's a kingdom that is seeking to give and bless as opposed to receive and accumulate. And so in things like when we're talking about generosity, and not just financial generosity, but generosity of spirit and of time, our culture says, keep it for yourself, accumulate and hoard, and Jesus' kingdom says, give it away. 
And in, in every way, what we should have is that we, as the followers of Jesus, God's heavenly kingdom, which is not of this world, we live in this world as people who are true homers in heaven, and we realize that we're passing through. And it doesn't mean that we don't get to enjoy the things of this earth. It doesn't mean that we don't get to embrace the things of this earth, but we don't hold on to them as our security because God is our security. And one of the things that I'm always finding in my own heart, and I love this about the Lord, is that at every turn, God invites us to do something that is countercultural to the day and age in which we live, but is also training in character building and discipleship for me to live so that when the time comes to enter God's eternal heavenly kingdom on my last breath or when the Lord comes to take us home, that it won't be this leap in the dark, but it's just the next logical step. And I, I see this a lot in race our kids because so many of the things as parents who love the Lord that we are asking of our kids, they're like, I don't know that other people are doing this. Like we were just talking recently in my house about, about screen time in front of the devices. And it was just really funny because I'm like, I don't think you shouldn't have screen time. I just want you to be able to be a human being too. Like I want you to be able to like hang out with people. You know, I want you to be present with people without there being a video game. And it was funny because they're like, this makes a lot of sense. And, and as we've been talking about this and, and working through some of these things, I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm not saying that you should never play a video game. I'm saying, I just want you to make sure that you're human all the time. That you're there for people. That, you, that your heart is moved with compassion. That you don't always have to be entertained. You can enjoy entertainment, but you want to live differently. And one of my kids was like, hey, isn't that why we give money? I'm like, exactly why. We get, God doesn't need our money. We need to give it. Because if not, what we start to do is we start to think, I have to trust in this. I have to hope in this. I need to make sure I keep this. It's never going to be enough. And I was like, actually, you can test me on this. Because if you give, you'll always have. And you can have an abundance. You know? And all of it is about this training in which kingdom are we living into? Paul wrote it this way to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 to 16. He says, I urge you, this is Paul talking to Timothy, I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is blessed, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and the lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable life, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. See, what Paul is telling Timothy is he's like, this is the good confession that Jesus gave before Pontius Pilate, that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the one and only sovereign one. And that we, because he is our king, we begin to live differently. I love that. That you keep this commitment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Speaking about his second coming. So for each one of us, because God's, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, it's beyond this world, we move through this world differently knowing that the king of kings, Jesus, is going to come back at some point. And so we want to make sure that in our earthly lives, we're pressing into the heavenly kingdom, that we're not just living earthbound lives, 
but we're living lives that are fit for eternity while we are still in this temporal existence. And it's, I, I remember when I started walking with Jesus, uh, a loved one said to me, make sure you're not so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And it was such a, it was a great statement because I never heard it before. It was a great turn of a phrase. And I remember being like, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And really what they were saying is don't have your head in the clouds so much that you actually are not worth anything here on earth. And, and, and I thought there was, I'm like, actually, as I kind of pondered it and played with the phrase in my mind, I'm like, actually, I don't think you can be any earthly good unless you're heavenly minded. I literally don't think that you can be of any help to anybody on this side of eternity unless you have a heavenly mindset. Because the heavenly mindset realizes that there's so much more to each situation than just what we see. There is a spiritual component. There is an eternity component. And for the children of God, just the way we were taught to pray by Jesus in the model prayer, our prayer should be, Lord, we want your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's about the kingdom of heaven breaking into the earth. It's about the will of God that always happens in heaven that begins to break into a, to a world where his will isn't cared about. How does that happen? Do people like you and like me? People who say, because Jesus is the king, he's the chief cornerstone of my life, now I'm going to live differently because I want God's kingdom to touch down right where I live at street level. I want his will to be done at street level where I live through my life. And what happens is God's kingdom touches down and his will is done when us as individual believers and ultimately all of us as, as, as the body of Christ, when we allow God's kingdom to come in our hearts and in our families and, and, and through the way that we interact with people. And so in a lot of ways, when I find myself lamenting the state of the world, the only thing I can do is pray for what's going on and say, Lord, I need you to change my life. Like everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change their own lives. That's how, that's how the phrase goes. Everybody wants to change everything, but nobody wants to change themselves. But really what we need to do is when we see the issues, we need to say, God, will you change me so that your my life can be a thin place that heaven can touch down to earth without any hindrance. And that should be our prayer. Lord, make my life a thin place that Jesus' kingdom, which is beyond this world, can touch down into this world. And so we ask the question, who is Jesus? Is he the king? We remember, as Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, my kingdom is not from here. And then listen to what happens in verse 37. And Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly, I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. And really what we learn, because Jesus is the king, we learn that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. He's saying, Paul says, so, so you are a king. You're a king then? He's like, I absolutely am. You rightly say that I'm a king. And he says that this is why I was born. This is why I came into the world. I came in to bear witness to the truth and he says that everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. 
And really where this boils down to for us is on Jesus' triumphal entry, people were celebrating the coming of the Messiah, but not everybody. There were all sorts of people who were angry. You know, the Pharisees were saying, you know, teacher, tell your followers to be quiet. They can't be talking that way. But Jesus says that everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus also used another beautiful analogy that my sheep hear my voice. He's saying those who are mine know the voice of their shepherd. And in the same way, he's saying those who are of the truth, those who know me as the truth, they absolutely hear my voice. And of course, this reminds me of John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus is saying that the people that have put their faith and trust in me, they know that I'm the truth, and they hear my voice. And then Pilate's response is a classic one where he says, what is truth? Now, we don't know the implications of what he's saying. And a lot of times it'd be really easy to take it that he's kind of, you know, kind of uh, scornful. He's a little impatient. Maybe he's a little bit sincere. Maybe Pilate, you know, he's grappling with what he's hearing. And he's like, well, you know, you say that everyone who hears, you know, everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Well, what do you mean? What kind of truth are you talking about here? Like, we, you know, we have a tendency to think that Pilate is just vindictive. But really, it says that he goes away and he tells the chief priest, he's like, I find no fault in this guy. In another one of the gospel accounts, his wife came and said, don't mess with Jesus. I had a dream about him, right? And so we don't know the inner life of Pilate. But one of the things that we do know is that Pilate did not change his decisions based on what he was hearing. And so what we have to realize, because Jesus is the truth, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, Jesus says. And really, this is the goal of Holy Week as we move into it. The goal of Holy Week is to hear the voice of Jesus, who is the truth, and then respond to his voice in a way that our lives begin to take on the qualities of the kingdom of God, which is beyond this world. And it sounds simple, and I'll be honest, it is if we don't think ourselves out of God's best for our lives. Man, that's one of the things that I'm learning all the time is that I am really good at thinking myself out of God's best for my life. Because God has a plan, and then I have my, my set of ideas that I have. And God is always inviting me into his kingdom to live into the reality of what it means for Jesus to be king, for Jesus to be real, for my life to be a conduit for God's blessings to enter the world. And then I come in with all my own garbage, my own ideas. Oh, what about this? How does this work? And, and what's funny is if you read the Bible long enough, then you, have, then you come up with all your theological arguments, which I've, it's so funny when, you, when we have theological arguments that lead us away from God's best. I mean, is there anything antithetical to a theological argument when it leads you away from God's best? But I've been there. Jesus is real. In today's message, Pastor Daniel reminded you that the goal of Holy Week and really every other time of the year is to hear God's voice and respond to Him. When you do this, your life will be remade bit by bit. 
Then you'll see the qualities of his heavenly kingdom bubble out of you as you move through your days. Pastor Daniel urged you to not get in your own way and think you've got it figured out. Instead, you can simply say yes to Jesus and allow him into every corner of your heart. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel reminds you Jesus wants to point you toward the most important things. In a world that is filled with things that grab your attention and feel so urgent, Jesus directs you to what really matters. He wants to help you focus on what's eternal so that you can grow and thrive. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Made Whole. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.